Thanks for listening to James from Montana, a new podcast in which I interview experts in the tech industry with the goal of slowly uploading the collective consciousness of tech into the cloud. For more information on today's guest topic or how to be a guest yourself, visit jamesfrommontana.com forward slash podcast. I have with me Chad Bowser, Senior Director of Talent Acquisition at Cargomatic. With over 12 years of experience in recruiting, including tech startups, supply chains, and even his own firm, Chad is somewhat of an expert when it comes to recruiting, and I'm excited to have him on talking about Recruiting 101. How's it going, Chad? It's going well. It's good to see you again, James. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, so I thought we'd start off today uh, in today's engineering landscape of mass layoffs, XFANG, uh, I guess they call them MAMAA engineers now. Yeah. Uh, they're circulating in the thousands. Recruiting is a hot topic. Um, so I'm excited to be digging into some questions I have, and I know a bunch of engineers have. Um, but before we dig into anything too deep, I have to start by asking, how did you get into recruiting? <laughs> so I am one of the people that could not find a job out of after graduating. Uh, and and I'll, I'll be really candid. I was probably one of the worst interviewers of, of all time. Um, so I couldn't find a job. I had a degree in biomechanics and I decided at the very end that I did not want to go into that field, which it's a very specialized field of physics and human movement. Um, so I couldn't find a job. Nobody would hire me for anything. Uh, essentially, I fell into uh, picking up boxes and have, being the most overqualified dock worker in a warehouse, in a refrigerated warehouse in central Jersey, where I would learn about cross docking and being hands on with a, uh, a warehouse, essentially. And all those Welch's fruit snacks. Yeah, I worked in that refrigerated warehouse in central Jersey. Um, before uh, I got hired to, I was the first hire in uh, the U.S. for an international search firm that was trying to open their New York office. But I couldn't find a job and I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> and it, I realized after interviewing a ton of people, I'm like, oh, I was awful. I was so bad at this. So <laughs> that's kind of how I fell into it was I then became a functional expert at one thing they needed somebody to lead their supply chain uh, side of recruitment. And that's how I initially got into recruitment was I did one thing in supply chain and then fell into it when a company was like, talk to me about, could you, could you qualify someone who's good? I was like, yeah, this, 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 and like was a functional expert in that area. So you're like, essentially like, I'm very bad at interviewing. So that makes me qualified for knowing uh, exactly who's good at interviewing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if that's the way you want to look at it. Yeah. I, I also like, I have a lot of empathy for people who don't understand or don't have the self-awareness to realize that they're bad at interviewing because I had no idea what was going on. Um, and rightfully so no one should have hired me then because i really had no idea <laughs> that's fantastic yeah i i don't think you're alone I, i'm pretty sure a lot of people are very bad at interviewing and i honestly think that uh people are 
I don't know, held back from opportunities just by that small segment of their life and they're not very good at it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's such a specific skill. There's some people who are really good at, at saying what they do and some people are really good at saying what they do when they can't really do that thing. So a lot of people end up with better jobs and it's, it's never going to be a fair side of things. Um, but it's something that I've learned that if, sometimes the best candidates really don't know how to interview if their life depended on it. So it really comes down to how good is the recruiter? Are they going to recognize that and try and set the person up for more success by asking more specific questions or training them and helping them along the way to get that kind of uh, to get the answers they need so they can demonstrate that. Yeah, that makes sense. So I am curious, switching gears a little bit, I guess to the dark side of recruiting, uh, a question to open us up a little bit. Why do candidates get ghosted so often? Okay. So I think this is a great question. Uh, one, because you're going to hear a lot of podcasts from recruiters who are going to say, oh, I don't do that. I always, it's not professional. You got to get back to every candidate. Truth of the matter is like, let's, let's do a little math of how many people I speak to per week. So I probably work easily a, a 10 to 12 hour day just on the grounds that I'm a glutton for pain. But eight of those uh, hours, I probably have uh, I probably have interviews throughout that. So eight hours, 30 minutes with, with each candidate, that's 16. So that's 80 candidates per week, five days, if I'm not doing a Saturday as well. Um, let's say 48 weeks. And if I like not including vacations or down weeks, so we'll say 48 weeks, there are 3,840 candidates that I'll speak to. And if I hire a hundred people that year personally, that means, so divide by a hundred for every role, I could be upwards of 38 candidates. Um, Here's where the self-awareness plays into it. Uh, if I give feedback or reject every single candidate, that takes away from me doing the rest of my job. Um, I know everyone's like, oh my God, that's terrible. You're so unprofessional. I have a job to fill for my own company. And I know every other recruiter who's listening to this is probably thinking the same thing. If I have one conversation with you, it's like a blind date. Have you? If you've ever gone on a blind date with somebody and just know it's not a match and the person is just like, well, let's go on date number two. I'm like, if you, if they don't get it, like what do you don't have any obligation to break that up. However, if the person goes to a second round, not out of those 38, which granted that's a large number, it should more be like after 20, you should find the candidate. 10 of those candidates, not right. Cut it in half. Uh, 10 of those candidates you're probably putting notes for that are probably good. And some of them may be good for something else. Say you put eight candidates forward. Um, and then six of them don't make the cut. Those six you do have to follow up with. And those six, I will say, look, it's not the right fit. Uh, or we decided to go forward with another candidate that better fits our needs. And I'm not lying when I say that 
the market is really competitive. And I, I say this as uh, sometimes candidates, this is actually, you mentioned this with the, the Fang or the now Mang companies. Um, a, lot of, a lot of those companies will hire five people to do the same job to make sure it gets done. So if there's like a conveyor belt of things where it's like one person presses a button, one person pulls a lever, one person uh, presses the third button, um, here's the thing is if we're hiring only one to, someone to pull a lever and the people that we've interviewed are really good, but they only press buttons, we have to go with the person who better fits our need of somebody who's pulling a lever. Um, or I've done all three. I've pressed buttons, pulled levers, and I can do it from start to finish, which is what a lot of smaller companies need because they're they're building everything in motion. So when it comes to ghosting, I, I have to give a lot of credit to a lot of recruiters out there for small companies. We may be one person. We may be two people. We are on the phone back to back. There's sometimes where people get really combative if you give them feedback that they don't agree with. And they say, well, no, that's not true. It, it's not up to me. It's, we have X, you didn't communicate X, you communicated Y. If I get into this argument with you, it takes time away from, from doing my job. And, and James, you and I have worked together before. I don't know if you've ever looked at my calendar, uh, but yeah, it's- Yeah, it's insanity. <laughs> it's not, I'm not messing around. I'm really like back to back. To, like, and that's with a lot of companies. Like if you're not at a company that has over a thousand people, there's a good chance that all the recruiters are doing the same thing I am. Uh, so I, I get that people want to hear back even after the, those screenings. And sometimes if somebody is very, very, uh, if somebody's like very blind to what's going on, but they are good. I'll, I will stop and explain. I'm like, look, I think that you're a good candidate. Here's what you have to talk about for the future, but I can't continue this conversation. You should look for this role versus this role. And some people, I wish somebody had, had told me that, but I also think that there's, there's career coaches out there that can help you prepare for interviews better. Um, so say you get ghosted and you get an email from a candidate is there any sort of email from a candidate that would get them like essentially unghosted to get like career advice or like some feedback that would help them in the next round? Yeah, actually there is. Um, so the, the more senior the candidate, the more saying like, Hey, if things, if they just write back, uh, Hey, haven't heard from you in, in a few weeks. Uh, let's stay in touch if anything changes. Uh, I, I'm, I'm moving forward with some other options. Really appreciate your time. But if you still need me, feel free to reach out. Just that little bit of positivity, even though I know behind the scenes, they're sitting there being like, Chad's a jerk. And like typing like angrily with their their uh, keyboard. I get it. Like, I, But I've also like, from my own perspective, before... Uh, between like being in China and when the pandemic happened, I was looking for a role. I wrote to a company saying, hey, haven't heard from you in a few weeks. Uh, let's keep the line of communication open if anything changes on your end, but I I've got to accept this role. They literally were, the CEO reached out to me and goes, hey, I didn't realize this was going on. Um, 
let's can we can you help out on an, an advisory capacity? And I was like, yeah, I can. I can't give full time, uh, but I can give you a few hours a week to kind of help you structure things or, or, or help out on a part time basis. And, and that was one of the things that really uh, I realized that candidates who reach out to me and say, hey, I haven't heard from you. It's OK, um, but let's keep the door open because who knows if we're if, if we're not hiring for the button pusher, but the lever puller. I like having an email record of saying, this person sent me a note saying, I get it. It's not the right fit. That little bit can actually like when the time comes comes forward, puts you at the top of the list. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. That's uh, I never really thought of it that way. Um, have you let's let's flip the table just a little bit onto a candidate that uh you would like like somebody you're not interested in ghosting rather uh you're like fully communicate with you think they're a super fit for the job based on requirements etc um but you pass them on to the team and the team is like a hard no you ever had that that uh experience oh all the time um there are people that i will stake my reputation on and and try to push the person through and i will personally put in writing i'm like I know this person is capable of doing the job. I will take any pain or any fault that you hit for high, if this person can't perform. And nine times out of 10, I know that that person's going to be able to do the job. Um, but it's also like, I will probably propose an alternative. I'll say, let me put together a case study that I'll send to them uh, as kind of a last way to try and get them, get them to show what they can do. or um, I'll try and see what other roles are open that might fit their specific skill set and really push. So recruiters can see what roles are open, what's going to be open and how to structure the company. And that's where we play a very consultative role in the organizational development. If somebody's good, I've really, I, there's, I'll put my neck on the line. I have no problem doing that. But then I will let the candidate know, like, I'm doing everything possible to get you in. I need you to really knock it out of the park. Don't mess around. Work hard and show them why uh, why they hired you. Uh, most of the time, it always turns out to be a good thing. And it's when you work in a startup environment, or at least, especially when you're building something new, it's not a product that's off the shelf. You're building something completely new, and it's really hard to quantify what value that can bring. So you have to kind of live a little bit in the gray. So that's at least like if I'm fighting internally, I'll, I'll do everything I can to get the person in the door. So Chad, tell me, uh, peeling back the curtain a little bit, for those that don't know, what does it look like behind the scenes for most companies when a candidate essentially like makes it past your screen? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh Got to figure out how to answer this in the most political way possible without opening the screen too much. <laughs> um, oh, no. <laughs> no, well, here's, here's the thing. There's, there's different ways that you can have hiring, especially in tech. So there's the, the panel, which everyone has had a, a long panel interview before. And uh, usually it's probably four or five people that you have to speak with. If you're a smaller company that's still trying to decide what its culture is going to look like, 
most of the time you got to get a unanimous yes from everyone. And that's, that's exhausting. I know. But if you're going to be working in a small team with all of these people, they want to be on the same wavelength with these people. Once your company gets to a certain size, I think it's, uh, once you get to about like 200, 300 people overall in a company, I'm not talking about like division or, or, uh, or vertical. I'm talking about over, overall side of things. You've got to start making broader decisions so you have some unity in the, in the company as a whole. So you give somebody kind of the golden ticket, uh, I would like to call it, to have the call of they can override the other three or four people who are interviewing them. It's more or less, I think this person's a good fit for the culture we're trying to create something different. And it's, that's when you have to deviate from the wavelength of everyone. So when a company starts to go through those transi transitional sides, it's turbulent for a lot of people. It's scary. There's a lot of changes on the hiring side. Um, but when it's, when it's a full panel and you try and get unanimous uh, votes on everything, you need to keep it as unbiased as possible uh, and try and have those debriefs after everyone's spoken. Uh, and try and get you try and get everyone to like pretty much give a thumbs up, thumbs down. It's very uh, it's it's trying to keep the unbiased side of things. Um, there's also like you can create scorecards for everyone beforehand, and so you have that record and send it to one point of of contact, which is somebody like myself. See where they they match up. Bring it to the to the decision maker. So that it's also blind, so it's not like one person is going to be afraid to say their opinion when three other people uh, may like this person. They may have a, a glaring uh, blind spot, and that person's a functional expert in their expertise. It's just a matter of how heavy that part of the job is going to be. Um, so behind the curtain, it's I try and do the more senior interviews earlier because that'll kind of... Like if you meet with a CTO or a C-level or VP executive, you know very early on like if they're, they're going to kind of be an option for the rest of the team. They're the ones setting the culture for, for the team. So I think that really, that really plays a role into everything. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, I've been on hiring panels and have had to make that uh, essentially golden ticket decision or seen that sort of like golden ticket decision in one like non-unanimous uh, consensus, right? Um, how do you feel about hiring based on like an it factor or somebody like sort of stepping up and being like, you know what, this person actually uh, is pretty good at this thing or we should give this person a shot because they sort of like have the it factor. How do you feel about that and like versus bias, et cetera? Yeah, I... Uh... It's interesting. So I am very big on like, if you, let me kind of give you a, a metaphor or an analogy, essentially. If you judge a fish on its ability to fly, you're going to think it's an idiot. If you judge a fish on its ability to swim, you're going to be like, oh, this is smartest animal of all time. You have to just put people in positions to succeed uh, in order to, for it to be a good hire. When it comes to the it factor, you have to kind of look six months to a year where the company is going and will those opportunities to like to swim be there in the future if they're not there now. 
So is the person that you're saying based on an X factor beyond a, a bias going to be set up for success six months to one year from, from now so that they'll come into their own at the right time, they'll understand the business and those opportunities will be there. If they're not going to be there, you kind of got to hold off until you can see where that light at the end of the tunnel is going to be. Um, because if it's if it's not there yet, you are you're going to set that person up for a really tough go going down a path of a role they don't want their career to go, and and that's not fair to anyone because the company then has somebody that doesn't want to be there, and somebody who's not going to help them get to where they want to be. Uh, if if that makes sense, at least. Yeah, for sure. So uh, let's talk interviewing for a moment. Uh, Video on or off? And should you ever have a Zoom background? <laughs> on. Uh, uh, honestly, you can play it by ear. Uh, start with it on. And then I'd say some co companies like Cargomatic, for example, a lot of people don't turn their camera on. But for interviews, they always do. So you can say, uh, you can, as a candidate, say, is it okay if I turn my camera off or would you prefer it on? Usually it's a very simple ask. You're not, nobody's going to, going to reject you for asking questions like that. And if anything, it builds rapport just because you're literally just saying, what are the guidelines for this? Um, there's no right or wrong answer on that. Love it. Okay. <laughs> Backgrounds though. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I don't use one, so I've seen them all. I, I don't, I have to look past that. It's one of those things when I'm prepping people for the next step, I'll give them advice based on who I think they're interviewing with. So check with your recruiter before you do the next stage of interviews on backgrounds. I mean, first round, I've seen all kinds of backgrounds. I've seen the Golden Gate Bridge. I've seen space. I've seen uh, bookshelves similar to the one that I have. That's a, my wife's amazing bookshelf and not my real one. But um, yeah, it, it's different for every, every person. It's great. So you might tell them like, you know, don't be in a spacecraft when you interview X um, in your next step. <laughs> yeah, or I may say, hey, this may sound insane, but be in a spacecraft for your next interview. <laughs> <laughs> but, all right. So what makes you cringe? Uh, think of yourself uh, in the last 10 years, some experiences that you've had with uh with candidates what has made you cringe the hardest uh in an interview oh there's so many stories cringe in terms of like what a candidate will do or what i've just experienced in, in, in my time i mean i'll give you an example and then maybe this gives you a little bit of time to think about uh a cringeworthy moment uh, I'm interviewing a candidate with another person and they showed up in a, a suit, uh, you know, a suit with a tie, um, looking real professional. However, the interviewers, me and, and somebody else, um, were in a t-shirt, right? Um, completely fine. And during the course of the interview, the first five or 10 minutes, they slowly started unbuttoning, uh, a shirt, <laughs> loosening tie, took the suit jacket off, took the tie off, 
at this point we're thinking like what's happening right now <laughs> like this guy this person is like stripping uh, down and gets down to a t-shirt and uh at that point we were like i think crawling in our skin a little bit but <laughs> i have not experienced that um i've had uh, i did have an interview I do a lot of recorded interviews these days now just so that I have a record of everything. And I can actually, if I do a snapshot of like a, a five to 10 minute interview, I can send it to, to the hiring managers so they can watch it on a plane, watch it on a Peloton. Like I can, they know this person's giving their, their own voice to the questions that I'm asking and they'll know in the first five minutes if they want to talk to that person. Um, I've, this was actually early in my career because I used to do a lot of zoom interviews uh, like year one and two of when I, I joined an agency, um, somebody's, uh, somebody's elderly father walked in the background shirtless, um, and they just kept going and it was on a recorded zoom. And I had to stop and say, just to give you a heads up, this is going to, uh, one of the largest shipping companies in the world. <laughs> I had to stop and be like, they're like, yeah, that's fine. No, they'll, they'll just see how I am. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> that's fantastic. Some people just, they don't care. Um, it happens. We're interviewing in our homes, you know, stuff like this happens. But this was, this was pre-COVID, way pre-COVID. This was like 2012. Like, and people just are who they are. Um, some people are just like, no, I don't care. I'll, I'll get the job if, I, if I'm that good. And just trying to minimize those distractions, like some of the best candidates, like you, they can't help themselves, but you got to s- step in and just say, hey, like stop your magic mic moment and leave your suit on throughout the interview. You made that choice. Uh, I could never bring myself to tell somebody, <laughs> please stop. <laughs> yeah, it's you got to like, you got to build a, a rapport with them somehow. And sometimes you got to like shine a light on it a little bit. Like we're starting over. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, cool. Uh, so tell me, I'm curious about some mistakes that you've made in recruiting. Like I've made a lot of mistakes um, in all the roles that I've been in. Uh, I think it's only natural for like all professionals to make mistakes, but what are some that you've seen in recruiting? What are some that you've made? Um, and and feel free, you know, we're on an unrecorded line. <laughs> well, I'm pretty open about them. Uh, and one that I made about a year ago, and it still haunts me to this day, was we had a very specific position with a very small, like, get real Liam Neeson, a very specific set of skills. There's only a handful of people that have worked in this one area. It's brand new. It's not even five years old. Uh, I had two candidates with the exact same spelling of their name. Not like a John Smith, not like a Susan Miller, like real unique names. uh, And like, it would it'd be like the full name being like James from Montana. Like, not that that would be the name, but if their last name was from Montana, it was kind of like that. Two people, same name, different parts of the country. We could hire somebody in one office. 
not the other, although we still wanted to keep in contact with them for a different role in a different office. Um, I, they had one letter off. One of them had their full name as the email address. The other one had the full name plus like one on their, on their email. The second one to come to Gmail. <laughs> yeah. And so I put them forward both for first round interviews, um, briefed each of them on like who they're going to be speaking to switch their resumes, uh, on the invites. And, uh, when the person was interviewing them, they're like, this isn't right. And I fully set them up in like such a tough spot because they were like, no, I can do this, but I, I'm not from that area. I didn't go to this school. I didn't like, I put them behind the eight ball from the very beginning and I had to figure out how to backpedal. And this was not like a small role either. So I was really like, I had to apologize to both candidates profusely. I had to apologize to the hiring manager. Like it was one of those things and just like fully laid my cards out on the table. I'm like this, I'm sure you're going to experience this again in your lifetime because you guys both do the same thing. I'm really sorry. Um, That's so rough. That's so rough. They luckily understood but it still haunts me to this day. And I, I've, I did make a, I've made other mistakes in my career too, but you got to learn from them. Um, and one early in my career, I sent an, uh, I think this was 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I sent an offer out and I didn't send the non-compete out with, with the offer. And so they didn't sign it. And then six months later, I realized. And uh, it, it was one of those things where they had a, they, could leave and go to any company and they did not sign the non-compete and I've never ever now now all it looks like the law is going to shift and they're going to get rid of non-competes but at the time it was a very big deal and I've never made that mistake ever again but you got to learn from these mistakes like if, if you do everything right the first time then geez, we should all be working for you. Start your own company and do what you need to do. But I feel for you. Cause like when engineers make a mistake, it's usually to do with code or like maybe they lose some money or like production's down for a little bit of time. But if you make a mistake in recruiting, it's to do with people usually, right? And people's livelihoods. Yeah. <laughs> it's not exactly easy. Don't mess with people's money. It's the one thing that I was taught very early on is like, People have livelihoods. They have families. Like you can, you can work with them on what they need, but don't mess with their money. It, it will not end well for anyone. Um, and I've I've never made a mistake with money. Although the non compete was it was eleven twelve years ago, that has haunted me still because <laughs> we lost someone <laughs> very good, and there was nothing I could do about it. <laughs> All right, let's talk money for a second. Can you share any tips for negotiating job offers uh, with engineering candidates? Uh, yes. Like we all like money. Yeah. So uh, I'd say one of the things to there's a handful of things to be cognizant about. Uh, one, there's all these new laws that are out where on the job description, employers have to advertise how much the range is. Um, so you know exactly what like the employer will pay some companies leave it super wide the idea is not to do that it's to help everyone because if it's 
if it's 100 to 110, I'm just throwing numbers out there, and you need 120, guess what? They're not going to pay it. Um, and I've stood by that and been a jerk and be like, you saw what it was. We maxed it out. And they're like, well, but I need more. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, the, the next thing I'd say is uh, if you are going to negotiate money, pick up the phone and call the recruiter. Don't send an email that says business insider will says this pays this much and I think I should be paid this much because guess what? No company will, all their comp data is different. It, not everyone's like, oh, well, business, oh, you've convinced me. Business Insider says this. It's my a reputable goodness. source. <laughs> my goodness, I need to, I can't believe we did that. You know what? Let's change all our comp banding. Like some companies pay different and you have to you have to be okay with that, but pick up the phone. The more senior the candidate, they will be okay talking about money early and often. So first conversation, say, this is what I need. Legally, a recruiter cannot ask what you are on today. So you don't have to tell them what you are making today, but what you need to make a move. And I recommend don't lie about this to inflate it because then all of a sudden, if they can't meet you where you're at, where you want to be, and then you're like, well, we can only pay this, but you'd still accept we can only pay this and it's 30 grand less than what you said. You've now lost all your bargaining power. Uh, there's nothing you can do. You can literally on the phone say, what is the comp range that you are advertising for this role? And the recruiter will have to tell you. And if it works for you, keep going and say, I'm looking at the, the top range of that. Or I'm looking for the middle of that. Like, don't lie. Just Try like you don't have to be you don't have to like overinflate anything. It's made so that you can make a move based on what you need. Um, the I will recommend this to everyone, every field. Take a negotiation course because that will help you. Like don't you can learn from TikTok or your friend or whatever or even this uh, podcast that we're doing. I did a negotiation course very early in my career and it was a three day intensive where I was living in a, a middle of nowhere in, in the UK specifically to learn how to negotiate. And it was just, you just negotiated salaries all day, every day for like three or four days. And they taught you along the way how to take an adjournment, how to um, uh, signal to somebody that you want a packaging change. And the more I can see somebody is signaling or the more I realize that we've agreed on one part, let's move on and they can actually keep up with me. It's a lot more fun because you want to help them out. So I recommend taking a negotiation course for anyone. Uh, Scott works has a great one. They do them in New York, London. I think they also do them on the West coast as well. Um, they're fantastic. Um, the first thing they're always going to say is negotiate over the phone or in person, never via email because person can just look at it and say, no, I'm not. they're, they're going to call you and say, I saw what you uh, sent me over and the context of everything's gone. Um, and also I, I don't care what business insider says. <laughs> <laughs>
so what's like the minimum or I guess it would be maximum amount of time that you would want to spend in negotiations? So you have a lot of, you know, candidates in pipelines. You have them a lot in the market right now. Like what is the max you should really be spending negotiating or is there a max at all? I don't know if there's a maximum. I'd say the earlier you can, if you have one point of contact, like a lot of recruiters are doing their own scheduling uh, and driving people through the process themselves. Uh, talk early and often with them and throughout the process be like, look, I'm looking for, uh, talk about what you're looking for in terms of bonus. Uh, ask if there's sign-ons, like really learn what the, the packaging looks like for each company. Um, are there stock options? Are there, is there a bonus? Uh, sometimes there's constraints that come with stock options. Like you have to relocate to one of our hub offices or there's no bonus potential or it's discretionary. It's not in writing, but every year it's usually a target of 20%. Um, and just learning how things are structured with that company along the way will help you. So when it comes time to signing an offer, you've got more information and you have a lot to, to go back and forth with very quickly of what needs to get sorted out. Um, otherwise, you're now in a position where you're like, all right, let's talk money. This is what I need. This is, talk to me about this, the health benefits, 401k match. Um, you don't have to get all of the information at once at the beginning, but like along the way, chip away at it. Um, because that will help you along the way for negotiations. Got it. Um, I have another question for you. I was sort of flipping the sides again. Chad, <laughs> is AI coming for your job? I hope so. I, uh, <laughs> I really do. I, I mean, look, one of the things that I am trying to figure out is, well, think of it in terms of the industrial revolutions that have happened. So it's like first industrial revolution, you show up, you get a job, maybe an apprenticeship. Uh, second industrial revolution, steam, you've got a conveyor belt. Your job is to do one thing on a, on a conveyor belt to build a car. Like I put the wheel on digital industrial revolution is like you send your resume out. Oh my God, I'm getting hired faster because everything's digital. Now we're in a position where you send your resume out, it's the normal and you may not hear anything because it goes to the void of resume collections of where everything is. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're a bad candidate. It just means like there's a thousand resumes that come in per job per day. And it's really hard to go through that. AI is going to be the next thing that scans your resume, which I recommend using live career to build your resume because you can beat AI that way. But what I want to use it for is have my face be the face that does the first round interview and records those so I can kind of put a snapshot together with those that first round. So I can kind of click through, get some context be, beyond the resume and I can move faster. Um, that way I'm not just saving a hiring manager's time, I'm saving my own. And look, if driverless cars, all of those things. Do I recommend starting a career as a truck driver today? Probably not. But if you are one today, can you be one for the rest of your career? Yes, absolutely. That's going to be an option. Would I recommend uh, 
a career that like printing phone bo- phone books today? Absolutely not. That's dumb because we have the internet. <laughs> These jobs come and go. Like we just have like I as a recruiter want there to be easier things so I can make higher level decisions and not have to kind of focus all of my energy on a like one to one basis of the three three thousand interviews I do. Um, I, I get burned out after about six months, have to recharge, and then I can get back into it. Um, so I don't, I know recruiters are like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job to machines. But like, sure, it's it's going to happen. If it does, like learn as much as you can about AI because it's it's going to be important. Nine out of 10 resumes on ZipRecruiter and Indeed aren't actually seen by a person, but in but AI is scanning them based on like what, phrases they're programmed to look for. That's why I say, look, if you're building a resume, go on live career. It'll actually give you the phrases that they look for and put, puts you to the top. That's a good shout out. Uh, all right, Chad, we're running out of time. So I got to ask you uh, one last question. What's the best pizza in New York? Uh, Sal and Car- Carmine's on the Upper West Side. I know it's not in the middle of everything, but it's right around the corner from my apartment. So uh, <laughs> shout out to Sal and Carmine's. <laughs> I'm sure you just made a lot of people mad, but uh, we'll continue on. Uh, <laughs> anything we haven't touched on? Anything you want to mention? Shout out? Yeah. Shout out to Sam Ahmed. Sam works with me at Cargomatic. He worked at, he was actually my first boss 12, 13, 14 years ago. I don't know. And he was uh, the one who taught me how to do this and uh, do it right. So uh, big shout out to Sam Ahmed. All right. Shout out to Sam Ahmed. Thanks again, Chad, for joining me. And thank you to our listeners for listening to the James from Montana podcast. If you want to support this production or uh, see audio transcripts for this entire episode, visit jamesfromontana.com and consider signing up as a member. When you sign up, you get free emails when new articles or episodes like this one drop.